there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, this is David Murphy, and you're very welcome to the Europe Politics podcast from RTE News. We're joined in studio today by Sandra Hurley from RTE Politics. Hi, Sandra, how are you? Hi, David. And we're joined by Sinn Féin TD, Mark Ward. Mark, thanks for joining us. No problem, David, thank you. So, it's... Uh, the, the government isn't even a month old, this new reconfigured government with the um, new cabinet lineup. And already, Sandra, we've had a minister resign. Damien English told the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, last night that he didn't think it was tenable for him to remain in position. And the Taoiseach agreed. Sandra, this has come fairly fast. What exactly has happened? Yes, it's certainly a very quick resignation. So... Uh, it all goes back to a few stories by the On The Ditch website. Earlier this week, they published a story about Damien English saying that he hadn't declared a second home that he owned. But then uh, yesterday, they published a, a more serious story, which related to a planning application that Damien English had made in 2008 in Meath. Of course, he is a TD for Meath West, previously for Meath, when the, before the constituency was broken up. And back in 2008... Damien English was looking to build a house in a rural part of the constituency and he falsely told the planners that he didn't own a house already in the constituency. And of course, this feeds into demonstrating that he had a housing need. That's very important when you're looking for that planning permission to build in a rural area. So uh, On The Ditch reported that and Damien English, I think, very quickly realised that there was no place really uh, to hide here. This is a very uh, serious situation and he offered his resignation last night uh, to the Taoiseach Leo Radker. So it's the second ministerial resignation we've had in the space of six months, the last one was Robert Troy, which was a far more protracted controversy. Do you think to some extent maybe Damien English learned the lesson of that because he has moved very quickly and politically um, things will move on? Yes, I think he definitely uh, did learn from what happened with Robert Troy. If we remember, Robert Troy tried to tough it out. He gave an interview to RTE's News at One, uh, really trying to salvage his position. Uh, and there was kind of a drip feed of res uh, revelations in relation to his case as well. So I think Damien English realised that he didn't have any choice here, that he simply would have to go. And he also saved, I think, some hassle for the party. If he had tried to stay on, to stay on that would have meant that the Taoiseach Leo Radker, just newly appointed uh, back in this role, would have had to try to move him out of that position. And that would have created even more upheaval. As it is, it, it is destabilising. It's very embarrassing for the government. It gives a lot of meat to the opposition. Um, Damien English has been a TD in that area since 2002. Now, we're not seeing any calls from the opposition that he should resign his position as a TD. And he has said that he will stay on. Now, one person's resignation is another person's opportunity. So um, with all of these things, someone is going to get a, a job of Minister for State in the Department of Enterprise, the one that was held by Damien English. So who's in the mix? Yes, well, a lot of names doing the rounds. And uh, yes, it is inevitable that very quickly uh, attention turns in the party into uh, onto who is going to get this position. So a few names doing the rounds. Um, Joe Carey from Clare, Alan 
Dylan from Mayo. These are two people who had been mentioned back in December when there was another kind of junior ministerial reshuffle. Another name is Neil Richmond, the Dublin Rathdown TD. Uh, and several people have cited his name to me today. He would be seen as very capable. He obviously goes out and bats for the government a lot, but I suppose he might be scuppered by geography because in his constituency in Dublin Rathdown, it's a three-seater. There are, are already two ministers, Catherine Martin and Josepha Madigan. So a third in that one part of Dublin might be seen as too many. Thanks, Sandra. Mark, what's the Sinn Féin perspective on this? What's your reaction? Basically, I think uh, Damien English done the right thing by resigning. Um, the, the very basis of being a public rep, you have to be honest when you're dealing with any sort of public bodies whatsoever. There would have been a, a big cohort of people in, in, in rural Ireland that would have went through the proper planning procedures when they're applying for one-off house or to apply for plan permission. And they would have been denied because they were being honest. So the very basics of the minister was to be honest when he was applying for plan permission. That didn't happen. And I think he done the right thing by resigning. Now, the AIN2 TD, Padre Tobin, has said that Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin to, should do an audit of all of their TDs to make sure that all of their disclosures in terms of the property that they own with the Standards and Public Office Commission are absolutely accurate. Do you think that's something that the larger parties should do? Well, we're compliant with Zippo. We've only filled out forms this week, this this week for for Zippo. Uh, we'd I, we'd have no problems whatsoever doing an audit. I wouldn't take would take wouldn't take a take Padder's party to do a, a big audit for all his TDs either. So it's it's quite easy when you're holding from the ditch a little bit there on that one. Now you've been a TD um, since late 2019. You came in uh, into Dublin Midwest um, in a by-election. Um, What's it like? What's it been like? Because for you, you've had your own personal difficulties in the sense that uh, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and you've been battling that at the same time as you've been working as a TD. What's what's that been like? It's it's getting the balance right. So the multiple sclerosis doesn't impact me on a daily basis. Um, I have it since I was 32. So that's 16 years ago now at this stage so I've learned to live with it and I've learned to manage it um, and it hasn't impacted me on a daily basis up until just before Christmas where there was a there was a change in a neurological scan that I had and I had to go on a different treatment to stop it from progressing and getting worse so I was prevented with rather than being sick from it so that kind of knocked me back a little bit but I'm back on my feet now um, and from that so it's it's getting that balance right uh, in the doll uh, the hard work in the doll and the hard work in the constituency being a family man as well and also and also dealing with a, a, a neurology condition like multiple sclerosis. Can you just talk us through the original impact of being diagnosed mm. with that? What was that like? So the, the first thing when I was diagnosed, I, I, I hadn't got the capacity back then when I was 16 years ago to be able to tell people how I was feeling. So I was very frightened. Um, I went into a really, really dark place because I didn't know how to uh, communicate and articulate what was going on inside me. I always said, advise people now, don't do what I do, don't do Dr. Google, don't go looking, it'll bring you down a rabbit hole, you'll only see worst case scenarios and you won't see a positive outcome. So at the moment now, I have a really, really good quality of life. I changed a number of things over the years. Uh, for example, I, I ran the marathon in 2018, Dublin City Marathon. I done a cycle from Condalkin to Cartown there last year, 108 kilometre cycle, and I'm planning to do another cycle now this year um, from Dublin to Belfast. Th- th- these are just things that I can do um, for, for myself that, that will uh, help. Just It's basically good for my mental health as well. Is it difficult to be able to uh, 
handle this when you're in the public eye? I mean, there were some comments made about the way you were dressing before Christmas and it was at a time when you were going through quite a heavy treatment, yeah, wasn't it? There was. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I don't mind um, any kind of um, public discourse towards me. If people want to have a go at me over my politics, that's, that's fine. I just felt that was a particular time when I was, the, the treatment I had to do before Christmas, I was I was going through chemotherapy, so I lost some hair, so I was wearing a hat, I was a bit cold, so I wore this cardigan that I just bought down the road because I, I was a little bit cold and people decided to use that as a way of just having a pop at me. So I just basically explained the situation that was going on. Now, in terms of your own lifestyle, you've mentioned actually the importance of being active, being physically active, doing the cycling, uh, doing the running. Is it difficult to, to keep up that type of activity at the same time when you're in a very, very busy political job. Absolutely. So that's that's one of the challenges that I have. So it's, it's sometimes it's getting up in the morning. Now I haven't to be honest with you, I haven't been doing as much exercise as I, as I had been doing. So uh, like everybody else, New Year, New Me, I've been I've been back out on the bike there recently. But it's about sometimes just getting up in the early in the morning and going. And if you have a gap in the day, I ha- I do have the training gear in the in the car with me as well. So I have a gap for a half an hour, forty five minutes, I'll go for a run and then I'll come back and do do a bit of work. It doesn't happen all the time. Talk to us a little bit about the big issues in your constituency. What are the top three things that people are knocking on your door about? So housing is is the is still the biggest issue in my area. The cost of living is is, is, a, is a huge issue in my area, and access to to health services uh, is is our, are probably the three biggest issues in my area. Now on the housing thing, that's something you've had personal experience mm. of. You were actually homeless yeah. yourself at one stage. What was that like? Really tough. In 2016, I was a, a councillor in South Dublin County Council at the time, um, and I found myself homeless through no fault of my own. The landlord, really good landlord, had to sell because the property he was renting somewhere else, the rent went up. He couldn't afford the rent, so he had to sell the property. And then I went to find a property, and I just could not find one. It took me the guts of nine months to find a, a suitable property. Really, really difficult. I stayed in homeless accommodation. I stayed sofa soft for a while. Um, I had an aunt that went to the hospital for a couple of months, so I had the, the, the use of her home for a, for a little while as well. But a really, really difficult place. I went to viewings. I've been that person that's been on a viewing to see a property, hoping that you're the one person out of that hundred people that are going to that, that viewing to be picked and absolutely really, really hard. And we're back to the same again in 2023. So you were actually on the homeless list Mm. of a council in a local authority and you were the councillor on the local authority. I was, and I didn't go public while while, while I was going through that. Um, and the reason I did, didn't go public because I didn't want to be seen to be using my position as a local uh, councillor to enhance me. So basically, for example, I would have went into the South Dublin County Council and declared as homeless and I was asked, they're looking at me, they're looking for candid camera for a force one stage and they asked, they want to go into the office and I said, does everybody get to go in the office? They said, no. I said, well, I won't. I'll do it at the desk like everybody else. So I didn't want to be seen to be using my position to basically find me a home. Um, I went public in 2018 and uh, when I became the mayor of South Dublin and basically was if the first citizen of the county could find themselves homeless, it could happen to anybody. And that's the reason I done that as well, just to basically break the stigma around homelessness because it can, can happen to anybody. Now, Sandra, just on the topic of homelessness, um, we've seen over the past week that the figures for people without a home who are relying on emergency accommodation are going up and up, despite the fact there's a ban on evictions. We're going to have the Doyle resume midweek next week. This is really going to be the issue that's going to dominate, isn't it, over the coming months? 
Yes, undoubtedly it's the number one challenge for the government and I think it was a real blow for them to see that the homeless figures had gone up when they had brought in the eviction ban and that uh, that really means that it's pretty stark when the eviction ban begins to expire at the end of March. Now there is kind of a staggered expiry but there's a lot of potential there for many more people to become homeless and the, for the figures to go in the wrong direction. So politically what we have seen from the switch and from uh, Leo Vradker back in the Taoiseach's offices, he has stated publicly this is his number one issue. He has held uh, a public housing seminar this week. He met the Housing Commission uh, last week. He's certainly trying to demonstrate that he is redoubling his efforts. But I think a lot of the indicators for the government are going in the wrong direction. They need supply. They need new homes. The construction figure uh, trends are all going in the wrong direction. The government is trying very hard to bridge viability, which is the gap that developers say that they can't sell uh, homes at a price high enough to cover their costs, their input costs. And then the, 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 there's also this added problem of the increased cost of borrowing at the moment, the finance, uh, the um, interest rates going up. So the government is trying to bridge that viability, but it's proving really difficult. And I think there's a lot of pessimism in government that it's just not going to be able to get to grips with housing. Mark, um, Sinn Féin and indeed your constituency colleague Owen O'Brien have made a big point of saying the government is failing in terms of housing. Um, all of the opinion polls, if they were to uh, be reflected in a general election outcome, would indicate that it's very likely Sinn Féin will be in government perhaps with others after the next general election. How confident are you that um, when Sinn Féin would find itself in office that you'd actually be able to turn the situation situation around. It's it's a change. It's not just a change in ideology. It's the change in approach. So, for example, for too long we have uh, this government twelve years of of Fianna Gael being in government where they're relying on the private market to to supply public homes. We need to go and start mass producing public housing, and I don't just mean social housing. I mean social, affordable, and and affordable rental uh, housing that will meet the need for people. Sandra, one of the interesting things about this week is that um, Leo Varadkar made a considerably, considerable deal about the fact that the government would now contemplate advance purchasing apartment blocks. And it looks as if apartment blocks are particularly the problem for them because um, with, for example, housing estates, you can build 10 homes, sell them, build another 10 homes and do it on a phased basis, which helps on the financing front. You can't really do it with an apartment block, you have to build the whole thing or you don't build it at all. And one of the issues seems to be that there are lots of planning applications out there, but they're not being built. So the government looks as if it's going to try and kickstart some of that, but that's easier said than done. Yes, I think so. And I think some would also say that this isn't an absolutely brand new idea from the government. I think Sinn Féin made that point earlier in the week that this has been kicking around for a few months and local authorities have been asked to do this in some instances. Um, one thing the, the government does have is a lot of money at the moment. We know that that was demonstrated by the €5 billion Euro surplus that was revealed uh, for the whole of last year. So they do have a lot of finance that they can put into uh, tackling housing, but it's very difficult to get straightforward results. And the problem that you mentioned in relation to apartments is that the prices just keep climbing. Um, and that the property prices are not rising as fast as the input prices for developers, therefore they can't sell them uh, um, as high as they, they would need to to make a profit. And uh, the difficulty there is that um, 
You can't just keep up putting up property prices. Apartments in Dublin are already selling new for four hundred or five hundred thousand. I mean, that's out of people's reach already. That's many multiples of incomes, uh, and it's way more than people can afford. So, I think it's a really thorny problem for the government, and that there's just no simple solutions here. The other issue, Mark, of course, is simply finding accommodation for refugees people coming from the war in Ukraine and other people who are seeking asylum. Is that a big issue in your own constituency of Dublin Midwest? We, we have a number of facilities in, in, in Dublin Midwest which are hosting either Ukrainian nationals or international protection uh, asylum seekers. And we also have a direct provision centre in, in our area as well. Um, some of the, the facilities, like the, we have one up in the Soyuk building in Kondokan, wouldn't be ideal for people to be staying in because it's a converted office building um, but that's what we have at the moment. And in terms of these protests we've seen um, springing up in various parts of the city and some of it certainly has been driven by social media activity in some cases the numbers have been quite small. Is that something you have a concern about? Well I would have a concern about I don't think anybody should be everybody has the right to protest um, and bring the protest to the appropriate place. So the appropriate place is these government buildings. It's not outside places where people are living. People are coming from all sorts of situations. They're coming from out of their homes into another country. And the last thing they want to be seeing is people standing outside and saying that they want them out. So we, we need to be, we're, we're better than that as a society. And there is elements of the far right who are manipulating people to, to suit their own political agenda and we need to move away from them. By all means, come to the doll, have your protest in the doll, and, and we deal with that because we're the decision makers in here. Sandra, this is an issue which I think a lot of politicians are getting increasingly concerned about, aren't they? Yes, there's clearly deepening concern in government about this. We've seen the Tánish the Michal Martin comment about this in recent days, saying that it is threatening to people to protest directly outside where they are living. And the point that Mark makes is that if people have an issue with the government, they can protest at Leinster House. Um, the Justice Minister, Simon Harris, has said these aren't protests at all. And he's talked about people travelling to various demonstrations and, and this type of thing being orchestrated by the far right. Um, so the Gardaí are certainly involved in monitoring all of this. There's concern that this evening, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, that there's going to be more protests organised. Uh, and it is just deeply concerning when you think of people looking out their window at those outside telling them to get out of the country. It's really worrying. Just on the broader issue, Mark, of uh, we've, the influx of people coming into the country and trying to find accommodation for them, how do you think this government is actually handling that issue? Because it would be difficult no matter who is running the country. Well, considering that when, when this first happened in Ukraine, I think the figure of 200,000 Ukrainian people could be coming over here. Was, it hadn't, we hadn't got anywhere near that. So imagine if we had it, I think there's 70,000 at, at the moment. So if we had got near anywhere near 200,000, uh, we would have been in really, really, really trouble. So I don't think the government has handled it. We haven't got a refugee crisis. What we have is a housing crisis. What we have is a health crisis. And what we have a crisis in education. So they're the crises that we have. We need to fix those services, and that infrastructure and have them in place. What are you going to be raising in the Doyle when the Doyle returns next Wednesday? There's a number of things if I, if I, if I get the opportunity um, we're expecting reports to come out from CAMS just on my own brief on mental health CAMS means what? Uh, the the child, uh, child, child and Adolescent Mental Health Services yeah. is CAMS so there's reports coming out on CAMS very soon so I'll be raising that I've only raised it there to, uh, yesterday and today uh, figures I've got for example on waiting list in for, for children who are waiting for appointments with CAMS when the minister took over in June 2020, there was 2,197 children on the list. Now we've almost 4,000 children on the list. This has become the crisis in children's health. 
Sandra, I guess when we see the Doyle return next week, a lot of people are going to pay a good deal of attention to the interaction in leaders' questions between Mary Lou MacDonald and Leo Varadkar as the new Taoiseach. That's really where people are going to see uh, how things are going to pan out over the next two years in terms of parliamentary activity. Yeah, that's where the real battles are going to centre in uh, the Dáil. So on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we would expect Leo Radker to go up against Mary Lou MacDonald. And that hasn't happened in recent years because he's been Thánishtha and Sinn Féin have put forward uh, their deputy leader, Piers Doherty, against him. And that, that was on Thursday. So I'd expect some pretty fiery uh, scenes there at times. All right. Uh, certainly Sinn Féin have a... Um, certainly they have a certain tactic that they managed to get under Leo Radker's uh, skin I think a little bit and they have a certain barbs that they go back to sometimes about you know the old boys network and this type of thing so I, I'd expect a lot of that interesting also I suppose to see the interaction between Micheál Martin and uh, we presume it's Pierce Doherty on Thursday how, how will they face off against each other and bear in mind I think something really worth remembering when the doll comes back next week is that we are at most two years away mm. from a general election being called. It could be as much as a year and a half. I know at senior levels in government that they feel they need to be election ready for the second half of 2024. So everything's going to get a little bit more serious, I think, and a little bit more heated. Okay, Sandra Hurley and Mark Ward of Sinn Féin, thanks very much for joining us on the Your Politics podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening.